The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Eric Franson with you on a Monday. Recapping a lot of the things that happened this past weekend. And, uh, boy, big news today. Uh, certainly a lot of it with the Houston Astros, as you heard there at the top of the hour. Uh, Major League Baseball handing down some penalties, suspending Houston Astros general manager Jeff Lunau and manager A.J. Hinch. Uh, Houston Astros fined $5 million, future draft picks taken away, first and second round draft picks taken away in 2020 and 2021. But in the multi-page report from Major League Baseball on multiple occasions says that it was player, the, the sign stealing that was going on with the Houston Astros in the 2017 season in which they won a World Series was player driven. And that they made it clear that that Lunau and Hinch did not have involvement with the scheme, yet they were suspended for one year, primarily because they didn't stop it. They allowed it to happen. Um, but what's shocking is that, that even though multiple times it says it was player-driven, it even impl- seems to suggest that it was players who came up with the idea, players who executed it, players who followed it up, and and let it evolve over time into certain types of sign signaling players to uh, with whistles and gestures to then hitting a bat on a, a garbage can. Yet there's no penalty whatsoever to the players, whatsoever. Now, there's an additional investigation that's going on in Boston because there's there's uh, an implication that there was a sign ceiling going on in Boston the year that they won the World Series in 2018. Alex Cora seems to be in the middle of this. He was, um, he was part of the Houston Astros. He was a bench coach during the 2017 season. He was a manager at Boston in 2018. They're starting their investigation today. There's thought that he will have a similar harsh penalty. But will any players be implicated and disciplined in this investigation, even though there weren't any in Houston? Jim Crane, he's the owner. He didn't take any action either. Well, at least with his players. Now, Major League Baseball suspended the general manager and the manager, and Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, says, I don't want you on my staff. He's firing them. But he has he's issued no discipline whatsoever for his players. Now, earlier today, he held a press conference, and he says, "There, this is going on in, a, in several different places. It's a league-wide problem with sign stealing. I think there's a lot of information out there um, that this was a problem within baseball. Um, commissioner put out a warning in 2017. There was a couple teams fined. Um, 
Listen, uh, it, it's clear when you hear the guys talk that, you know, they were doing, you know, talking about what other teams did and this, that, and the other. I have no proof of any of that, and it's not my job to investigate that. Um, the commissioner assured me that, you know, every team and every allegation will be checked out, and he'll conduct the same investigation he conducted on us, and I'm focused on the Astros, and that's all I'm going to talk about. Uh, he, the other interesting things that he said, besides saying this is a league-wide problem and other teams are doing things, uh, is that this doesn't, this shouldn't have anything to do to put a black cloud or taint the championship, their World Series. How does it not? I think absolutely not. I think, you know, we've had a very good team for a number of years before 17, uh, we were turning the corner. Uh, 18, 19. We have a very good team on the field this year. Um, you know, I think we'll have a great season. Got a lot of lot of great players still, um, and um, I, I don't think it taints it. How does it not taint it? You're cheating for a full season and a half. An investigation was conducted. There was evidence. There was proof. Players got, I mean, not players. Uh, People got suspended. Fines were levied. Draft picks taken away. How does that not taint a championship? How do players get off of this scot-free? I don't get it. I totally agree with the suspensions. A one-year suspension I think is fine. I think that's appropriate. I don't think they need to be banned for life. But if they do anything similar, then they will be banned for life. But how the players have gotten off scot-free is beyond me. But there is, uh, Major League Baseball does have a certain opinion about Houston. We talked about this uh, last hour. This is a club that, on many occasions, likes to flirt with the line, sometimes going over it a little bit. They like to play in the gray area. And uh, Jim Crane addressed, uh, he tried to defend his team, saying we're just uh, you know, doing what we do. But certainly there's, he feels like Rob Manfred has an opinion of the culture in Houston, which isn't very favorable. I don't agree with that. Um, I think we've got a lot of people here. We've got a lot of great people. Um, we have over 400 people working here, and uh, they work hard. And um, I think there were some isolated situations that, that led to that. Um, we have one of the best business operations in baseball. And, you know, I think if, if we did have any problems, um, we'll quickly define those problems and, and move forward in a very positive way. I don't think there's anything uh, difficult. We had one of the best baseball operations in, uh, you know, in the business and, and got a lot of great results. So that didn't happen with one or two people. That happened with a lot of good people. And so we'll move forward to handle that in a very professional manner. And um, it's not an extremely big organization, so I think it's if there's any problems, we'll root them out and we'll fix it. Now, beyond the sign-stealing allegations, well, this has been proven, it's not just allegations. Besides the sign-stealing with Houston, there was a lot of controversy over uh, the moves that they made to uh, bring on a player that uh, had had problems with uh, domestic violence. Uh, former Astros general manager Brandon Tobman was involved in an incident during in the championship series. We had 
directed some pretty profane remarks uh, at uh, some female reporters defending their decision to bring on this this uh, player that had the domestic violence problems. So uh, he was let go. Houston fired him uh, because first he, he denied what he said and then he later apologized. But uh, he has also been suspended for a year because of his conduct. So the uh, Major League Baseball coming after Houston and coming down kind of hard on them and as an organization, which rightfully so. But where is the the discipline for the players that came up with this scheme, executed this scheme, let it evolve and change over time? I don't know. It's it is really really weird. So uh, what will happen in Boston could determine uh, some additional uh, penalties for some people that were kind of still connected to Houston. But uh, we'll see what happens there. As uh, the word is that is uh, that investigation is getting underway uh, today after this uh, investigation with Houston has concluded. So uh, that's really some of the big big news today with what's going on with Major League Baseball and uh, what's happening with the Houston Astros. More should be coming down with uh, the the Boston Red Sox and their involvement. Some of the things that they did in the 2018 season. And uh, Alex Cora, kind of behind that, after he was somebody that was part of the Houston organizations in in seventeen when it was going on, and then took that and uh, took that with him, the sign stealing, and even more advanced how they use technology there in Boston in the year that they won a World Series. So will they have similar harsh penalties? Will they go even further? I don't know. I don't think they went far enough. At least certainly not uh, on the player level. For the managers, general manager, for an organization, I think that it was appropriate. For the players, uh, they got off Scott's free. Now, that's really disgusting, to be honest. It's not to put it any, any more lightly than that. Uh, coming up a little bit later on, starting at 6 o'clock tonight on ESPN, is the college football championship game, LSU versus Clemson. Two really, really good teams. A really good team and a really good program. Clemson is a team that this is what their their third championship game in four seasons. This is a program that knows how to win. If they if they win tonight, this will be the first college football team to win thirty games in two years. Incredible, absolutely incredible. But LSU has had an incredible run of their own this season. Can they be slowed down? Can they be stopped? They're most known for their offensive proficiency, for their weapons. Uh, in at their wide receiver position, a great running back, and the Heisman Trophy winner at the quarterback position. So uh, the the defenses are going to be the could be the keys in, in this uh, championship game tonight. Uh, Dave Aranda, formerly a defensive coordinator at Utah State, he's the highest paid assistant in all of college football. Will he earn his paycheck tonight? Uh, the other one is uh, Brent Venables, who is uh, on the other side defensively. Uh, for uh, for Clemson, and uh, he's done a really good job with the Clemson Tigers over the last few years, and he's going to have his hands full. Does he have as many offense or excuse me defensive studs as he did a year ago uh, when they won it? Probably not. So how will they be able to try to slow down things with with LSU? Um, interesting article, interesting piece on ESPN. 
by Adam Rittenberg and uh, Chris Lowe. They reached out to several different Power 5 coordinators, defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators, to give their perspectives on how would you slow down or stop LSU offensively? How would you slow down or stop Clemson offensively? And then the same thing with the, with the defenses. So they talked to offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. And really interesting to see what some of their, their thoughts were. That Clemson will probably just need to um, maybe even adopt what Auburn did. The only team all year that was able to hold LSU under 30 points. Uh, they were only allowed 23. And basically they were playing in what they referred to as a third down defense all the time. Dropping a lot of people back and just forcing, just expecting that they're going to throw on, on every down. They were able to move the ball up and down the field, but they were not able to score and get into the end zone quite as much. And so will Clemson try to adopt something similar, or will they uh, really uh, muddy things up at the line of scrimmage and try to get after Joe Burrow? Now, Trevor Lawrence uh, really has been uh, under the radar much of the year because of all the attention that went to Joe Burrow, uh, Jalen Hurts, even with what was going on at Ohio State. But uh, he has certainly shined in big moments. And this could be, I think, a tremendous championship game worth watching. And looking at this, and I'm going to continue to get your your score predictions for this, 435-339-0321. Text in who you think is going to win tonight, what you think the score will be, 435-339-0321. Will Dabo Sweeney get another one? Will Coach Orgeron get his first? Um, but this is uh, this is what the, the these coaches, uh, what these uh, coordinators at Power Five schools who have played against and have watched LSU and Clemson. Here are some of the things they think might happen tonight. A Power Five defensive coordinator and everything that was said under anonymity didn't disclose who this is. But he said, my initial thought is that LSU will win. It probably won't be close when it's all said and done. Power 5 offensive coordinator. I'd be shocked if Clemson can hang in there. Shocked. I could see it being a 24-point game. And a Power 5 head coach, I think LSU wins. It's probably the two best offenses in college football, and LSU's defense is better than Clemson's. Uh, another Power 5 defensive coordinator. I think LSU will win. I wouldn't discount Clemson ever, but I think LSU's the better team. Everybody's going for LSU, but almost everybody was going for Ohio State in the semifinal, and Clemson had other plans. Um, Got a text in from uh, 2197 saying LSU 41, Clemson 45. A lot of points in this one. Not a lot of defense. Um, I think the defenses will be key. Uh, who, Whomever has the better defensive performance, um, who, who can get after the opposing team. Both of these teams are probably a little bit better known for what they've done offensively. But let's consider a few things about Clemson. That um, man, we have to definitely consider about what they can do defensively. They lead college football in points allowed at only eleven and a half points per game. 
They lead college football in passing yards allowed, giving up only 151.5 yards per game. They lead college football in interceptions per pass attempt at 4.9%. They rank second in yards per play and second in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. So this Clemson defense is for real. Uh, not maybe quite as stout as it was a year ago, but still very, very interesting uh, matchup. I think in the end, LSU does win. I don't think it's going to be a runaway like some of those coordinators were talking about. I think it will be close. I think it may be close like uh, what 2197 has texted in. But I think it's LSU that does get the win. I don't know that it's that high of, of a Scoring? Uh, Close, though. I'm looking at more like LSU 38, Clemson 31. I think it'll be within a touchdown. I think it'll be close. Uh, I just have a hard time discounting Dabo Sweeney and his program. But I think the LSU, what they have done and who they've done it to all year, just can't be discounted. So many wins this year against top 10 teams. They know how to play big games. They know how to play in big moments. They know how to play against great competition. Clemson, that's their big knock. I think that's why a lot of people thought Ohio State was going to win that one in the semifinal. But um, they they got it done. But Clemson really hadn't played too many big games all year. LSU is more battle-tested. They're more ready for it. I don't know. If you got a different opinion, I'd love to hear it. Text us in and uh, let me know what you think the score is going to be for tonight. If you agree, if you think LSU is going to win, I'd love to get your score. If you think Clemson's going to pull the upset, I'd love to see that as well. 435-339-0321. Text me who you think is going to win that one. The game will be at 6 o'clock. It's going to be shown on ESPN for the championship in college football. All right, coming up next here on the Full Court Press, We'll get into the uh, the Utah Jazz. We're on a hot streak. We'll talk about the Utah State men's basketball team. We'll hear from Craig Smith. We'll hear from Sam Merrill. And uh, one of the developing stars coming off the bench for USU is Sean Berstow, playing meaningful minutes and having a, a, a big impact for Utah State when he comes off the bench. We'll hear from him as well, along with some updated standings in the Mountain West and the updated net rankings in college basketball. Is Utah State an at-large team? So far, the answer is no. There's still work to be done for USU. It started uh, on Saturday to get to repair that and be in position to be there, but still a lot more has to be done. So we'll get you some updates on that as well. Coming up right here on the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. It's the Full Court Press, weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Full Court Press continuing here on The Fan, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. Love to get your predictions. College football championship is tonight, LSU versus Clemson. Certainly LSU has an advantage of where this game is being played. 
going to be like a home home game for them. But uh, two really, really good teams going at each other for the, the national championship. And uh, love to get your score predictions for the game tonight. 435-339-0321. Text it in. Let me know who you think is going to win. What's the score going to be? Uh, also going on, you've got uh, some news from the Mountain West Conference. Now, New Mexico is in the news for good things and bad things. The uh, latest college basketball polls are out today. And looking at uh, you know who's ranked and what's going on there in the, uh, the current standings, when you look at the, the rankings for college basketball, San Diego State still ranked very high. And not a lot of movement for them. In the coaches poll, they did move up one. They're at number six. In the AP poll, they remain unchanged at number seven. But what's interesting in the coaches poll, New Mexico is receiving votes. They're receiving three votes in this week's poll. Now, New Mexico, they're four and one in conference play. They're 15 and three overall. It's a good year, pretty good season. But <laughs> there's a big but that's coming. It's had its own fair share of controversy there in Albuquerque. Uh, they've had some guys suspended, suspended indefinitely. Uh, Carlton Bragg was one of those, and he was reinstated. Uh, he had a three-game suspension. There were an investigation about some sexual misconduct allegations between him and another student. But then, early Sunday morning, Carlton Bragg Jr. is arrested. <laughs> uh, suspected of driving while intoxicated, had possession of uh, some marijuana, and this was just hours after New Mexico beat Air Force. He was out having some fun, apparently. So, um, what what's happened here is he's been he was released from custody later on Sunday, and then uh, Paul Weir, in an email to the Albuquerque Journal, confirmed that Carlton Bragg is no longer on the team. Here was his statement. Based on what I know at this time, I will be removing him from the team. My hope is that he can find increased time and attention to heed to his personal well-being. My sole purpose going forward is to support Carlton in his health and growth as a young man. The game of life is much more important than basketball right now. I still believe in him and hope this next step will allow him to develop into a strong, responsible young adult while also completing his degree here at UNM. I am rooting that this next chapter is his best one yet. Close quote. Um. So, what would what happened is about little almost one thirty a.m. He's driving a white BMW and goes through a sobriety checkpoint, and um, they pull him over. Um, he admitted to drinking a couple glasses of wine, um, and then they uh, do some other testing, find that he was impaired, find some marijuana on him. Um, he refused to do a breath alcohol test, so it wasn't pretty. It wasn't good, but and that's unfortunate. Uh, Carlton Bragg's—he was a transfer from Kansas. He had been a big part of what they were doing in some of their success. Um, he, he, uh, he, but he's had a checkered past. He was suspended at Kansas after being arrested and charged with battery against a woman in 2016. 
Before he was at Kansas, he attended Arizona State. He was removed from that team, from the Sun Devils, for violating an unspecified team rule. So he he's had some trouble. Uh, he's He needs help. Um, on the court, he was a force to be reckoned with. He was averaging 12.5 points, a little over 10 rebounds this season for New Mexico. Um, so he, he had been a big part of some of the success that they were having this year. But you can't go out and do that stuff. It'll catch up to you every time. So New Mexico is still number two in the current Mountain West Conference standings behind San Diego State, who remains undefeated. San Diego State plays Fresno tomorrow. New Mexico is 4-1. and one. UNLV coming into their own. They're 4-1. Nevada is 3-2. Boise State, Utah State at 3-3. Three three. Air Force, Colorado State at 2-3. San Jose is at 2-4. Fresno is at 1-4. And, and Wyoming, a paltry 0-6. Cowboys, wow, really, really struggling this year. So the net rankings come out. Now, they're updated every day because games pretty much happen almost every day now, the way the college basketball schedules work. But uh, the latest rankings are that San Diego State has slipped a little. They were the number one team in the net rankings for a, a couple of weeks. They're down at number four, still very, very highly rated. Uh, Utah State had slipped to the f- at one point after their three-game losing streak to the fourth-ranked Mountain West team in the net rankings. Now they're back up to the number two team in the Mountain West. They're at 78, still have some room to go uh, to get back to where they need to be and ought to be. New Mexico not far behind at 81. Nevada at 99. So you have four Mountain West teams in the top 100. Boise State just a little bit outside of that. They're at 109. Colorado State 121. And then kind of drops off from there. UNLV, they've improved. Like I said, they're they're in the Mountain West play. They're moving up. They're up to 157. You got Fresno at 166, Air Force 172. A big drop off from there. San Jose at 242, and Wyoming at 298. So uh, Utah State with a little bit of a breather this week. It's kind of like a bye week in college football. No midweek game for USU, and the game on Saturday is a bus ride up to Boise. So. Um, this is a this is a much needed break, much needed rest time for USU to get themselves collected. They had a nice rebound at home against Nevada on Saturday, and a really great performance by Namiash Keta, nineteen points, uh, five different players in double figures in that game uh, for the the Aggies in that uh, eighty to seventy win over Nevada, and uh, it really to start getting things back on track for Utah State. Um, and I thought the real key was having Keta have the type of game that he did have. Utah State led wire to wire. They never let Nevada really into it. It was a little bit close earlier on. Utah State was able to hold them off. Nevada made a bit of a run near the end of the first half. But uh, then Utah State pretty much maintained course throughout the rest of the game. And I thought that... Uh, you know, Keta, he's had time away from basketball for quite a while. And now just the last little bit, he's starting to get back into it. Because just as he started to come back, he had that other injury that took him out for several more games. 
So this is a guy that hasn't been playing game speed in a long time. So this is like early season Keta right here, even though we're midway through the season, almost a little bit more than midway through the season. So uh, the way he played last night, I think is a great indication of how things could continue to go for USU. Cause when he plays well in the post, a lot of other good things happen for Utah state. Uh, Brock Miller, even though he struggled from beyond the arc with only one of seven shooting still scored 11 points for USU uh, Abel Porter got some offense going, scoring t- uh, ten points. Sam Merrill scored twelve points. He's he. This is a great, great week for Sam to get right and to get healthy. Uh, but then there was uh, some great help off the bench as well. Uh, Diogo Brito, he's been a, doing a lot of things for Utah State when he's on the court, but offensively hasn't really been there. Saturday that changed. Twelve points off the bench for Diogo Brito. To go along with his six rebounds and two steals. Uh, he does so many different things uh, when he's on the court. And it's good to see that f- form returning for Diego Brito. And then a big spark off the bench in Sean Barstow, scoring eight points, three assists, and two rebounds, as uh, and continuing to get more, more minutes for what he's doing on the court. As he, uh, he plays well. That length that he has out on the, on the, uh, on the perimeter – is a good thing, really good thing defensively, how Utah State is using him, and then uh, what he's trying to do offensively has been a real good spark for Utah State off the bench. So coming up on the other side of this break, we'll hear from him, we'll hear from Craig Smith, some of the things that uh, they had to say about the win over Nevada, and uh, what this week will mean for this Utah State team who could really use a little bit of a break here to get healthy and get some rest, uh, especially for guys like Sam Merrill, who still played a lot of minutes uh, on Saturday and uh, 38 minutes of game action for Sam. That, that's a guy that needs a breather. So we'll hear from Coach Smith and some of the players coming up next right here on the Full Court Press. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric Franson with you here on a Monday here on the Full Court Press. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you had a great weekend. Getting things started on a a new week. College football championship game tonight. So we had a crazy weekend in the NFL. Kind of a snoozer game Saturday on the, on the opener, but then some great games that followed. Utah Jazz with a great come-from-behind win and then totally took control in the fourth quarter at Washington. Man, the Jazz are on a hot streak right now. We'll get into that a little bit later on, what they've got coming up. And uh, something new, a new wrinkle, and something that's been widely anticipated will happen later this week, and the Utah Jazz are involved. No, it doesn't have anything to do with Mike Connolly. But Utah State basketball had a nice win on Saturday against uh, Nevada. Uh, a team that had been playing pretty well. Um, this is a uh, you know, Nevada going into that game where th- they were three and one. They were definitely in the top tier of the Mountain West, but uh, Utah State doing better, finding their groove. Certainly, a big part of that was Namiash Keta uh, and how well he played. But another big part of that too was Sean Barstow, a spark off the bench. Utah State going with a deeper bench, more rotation. Of uh, this is a, a team that went 
at a very small rotation, only playing seven guys for quite a quite a few games early in the season, and I think that contributed to some of the struggles they had a week and a week and a half ago, where guys were just running ragged, and that wasn't a very deep bench or not a very developed bench that has been changing recently, and certainly I think it was a big part of what helped them secure the win against Nevada on Saturday. But uh, as we said, Sean Bear still played a big part of that. He played a nice role off the bench for USU with eight points in uh, 23 minutes of play. He uh, had one three-point shot. He was uh, had two rebounds and three assists. Overall, Utah State shared the ball very well. 20 assists, did an outstanding job on the boards, out-rebounding Nevada 43-28. to So Utah State doing what we normally see Utah State do, and it led to a nice win against Nevada. And here's some of the things that Sean Bearstow, these are his comments after the game on Saturday night following the win. Yeah, it was a really good team win. Um, we needed to bounce back, and we all played pretty well together, so it was a good win. Questions? How relieving was it to get this when you know, three straight difficult losses? How relieving was it to have a night like this, given the win? Yeah, it, it for sure brings momentum back to us. Um, but but we all stayed together. We we knew that if we did what we were supposed to do, we were going to be fine. So we were pretty confident going into the game. How good did it feel for you to make that three? Yeah, it felt, felt pretty good. Um, being one of the players that wasn't on the squad last year during the run to the title game, mm-hmm. um, how do you kind of react to the other players that were here, to the advice they give for like the situations you've been in the past few games, and then going forward and trying to yeah, um, we're just trying to learn as much as I can each and every day. Uh, we got some really good um, senior guards ahead of me, so Brock, Abel, um, Sam, and Diogo have learned so much from them in the last the last six months. Have they said anything in the past couple of days that's really kind of stuck with you personally? Um, not really. They've told me from day one just to go and play hard, so just continue to do that, and I'll be fine. Sean, do you know Coach Alford and Coach Neal from your brother? Um, yeah, I knew I knew Coach Coach Neal um, a lot better than Coach Alford. Um, but yeah, I went I went over to America when um, Cameron was in the senior year, so I saw Coach Neal coaching. Did they say anything to you after the game? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's always pretty friendly. They just ask how the family is and stuff like that. So good to see them. Yeah, well, we knew we knew it was going to be a battle, um, and from the get go, we were going in strong. We we kind of took every rebound. So, okay, that seemed like that got cut off a little bit shorter than I was anticipating. But but uh, still, Sean Bearstow, some uh, positive comments about how well the team did. Talking about that certainly the, the rebounding was a big part of it. Uh, Out rebounding Nevada, forty three to twenty eight there at the end. Uh, when the game was all said and done, and a better job sharing the ball as well. And Nevada came into the game as one of the top teams in the country with averaging assists. Utah State clearly did a better job there, 20-12. to 12. Even though Sam Merrill struggled offensively, quote-unquote, air quotes, struggled, um, didn't score quite as many points as we normally see him do, he did so many other things on the court. Eight assists, eight rebounds, one block. A tremendous performance again by Sam Merrill, making a lot of things happen for the Aggies. Here's some of his comments after the game on Saturday night. Yeah, I thought we responded really well to uh, obviously another tough loss on Tuesday. Um, 
Um, it was a tough week for us, the last 10 days or so, um, and we, we really took what happened on Tuesday night personal, and uh, I understood that that's, that can't be who we are, and um, had two really good days of practice, and thought we had a really good day, really good night defensively. Um, that was what had to be the key, and um, they obviously scored quite a few points there at the end in garbage time, but uh, thought we had a really good night, especially on the defensive end. Just that you know we had to be better. Um, those, like I said, those those previous three games, um, San Diego State we played played hard and um, just just got beat. But those other two games we had stretches where it just that wasn't our style of basketball. So our goal was to get back to playing Aggie basketball, which is toughness, um, playing together doing things the right way, and uh, I thought we did that pretty well tonight. Sam, what's the difference versus some of those games where you were struggling shooting versus tonight, especially in the second half where you shot 65%? What's, what's the difference between those two? Um, I think just sharing the ball. Um, I don't. We don't have any selfish guys, but um, we went through a couple stretches in these last few games where we weren't moving the ball like we needed to. Um, so we worked on that these last couple days, and. Um, like I said, thought we did a, a really good job sharing the ball tonight. I don't know how many assists we had, but 20 assists is a pretty good number. Sam, um, for you and the team, how nice is it going to be to not have to worry about a game on Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah, it'll be nice to be able to get some guys, hopefully get some guys healthy and um, also get some time to to focus on ourselves and what we need to get better at. Obviously, it was, it was great to get a win tonight, but... We still have a long ways to go um, to get back to back to the top. So it'll be nice to have a couple days to both rest and um, work on ourselves as a team. How's the eye feeling? The eye feels fine. It's just kind of ugly. <laughs> what, what happened to the eye? I just took an elbow late In, Tuesday night. Oh, Tuesday night. Yeah. Had, having been there last year and, and won the whole thing, what kind of urgency comes with this time of year knowing that the road gets smaller and smaller heading to Vegas? Oh, yeah, for sure, especially after... Um, what's happened? What happened to us these last three games? Um, we, I think, now, I mean, I think we knew that, but now it's ingrained that like we got to be, we got to bring it every night, especially conference games. Um, we could be playing teams that aren't as good as some of the teams we played in in the non-conference, and those games will be harder because there's better scouting reports, more intensity, all that stuff. So, um, I think we know that we have to continue to get better. Sam, we were two for seven tonight, so like, you know, not on par with what you usually do, but. Yeah, to be honest, I just wanted to to be aggressive and um, be better. Frankly, I haven't been as good as I need to be, especially Tuesday night. So um, I only took seven shots, which is below my average. But I, like I said, I was just trying to be aggressive and find ways to help our team win. And, I knew that I had to be better, and obviously I want to want to shoot the ball better. But hopefully I can do whatever I can to help the team win. Cato was real aggressive through some stretches. It seems like he's really starting to get back to where he was. Yeah, definitely. He'll he'll admit he didn't have his best night on Tuesday, and like I said, we all took that personal. But he he especially took that personal and uh, thought he had a great night. As, as he gets into game shape, which I think you saw some of that tonight, he's he's going to get back to who he is. Last one. It seemed like you guys got Kid involved a lot on the, in the pick and roll. I think you, Abel, and Sean, was that something you've been focusing on to try and get him involved? Is utilize that pick and roll a little more? 
yeah, we want to get him the ball. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the way they were they were defending screen and roll. Um, but Sean's a great passer, um, and Abel's a great passer as well. So um, our we want to get him the ball inside, whether it's on the block or, like you said, in screen and roll. That's Sam Merrill. Some of his comments following the game on Saturday against Nevada. 12 points on only seven shot attempts. Uh, but uh, very much involved in a lot of other things, trying to get his teammates involved. Uh, six for six at the free throw line, but uh, tremendous play by uh, Namish Keta. Uh, eight, no, excuse me, 19 points, seven rebounds, um, and getting himself back into game shape and uh, certainly the way he can change the game. You, can, you saw just how different Utah State is when he is in game form. So you know, that's great to see. Utah State has some extra time this week to heal, get rested, get healthy, and prefer, prepare for a Boise State team, which um, isn't great, but there are always some really interesting games whenever they play each other in Boise particularly. So uh, don't sleep on Boise State this weekend. Could be an interesting game. All right, coming up next year on the Full Court Press, we'll get into the Utah Jazz, a big win for them on the weekend after struggling a little bit earlier on finding their groove and doing it by defense and finding the guys down low, notably one big guy, Rudy Gobert. This team is on fire right now. Can they keep it going as they continue to rise the ranks in the West? We'll update you on the standings in the in the NBA and how the Jazz are doing and what's next on the schedule. Coming up next here on the Full Court Press. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. The Utah Jazz, certainly one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. The Jazz have won nine in a row. And uh, they've won, what is it, like 14 of their last 16? So the one loss they had in the middle of some of that that hot streak that began in mid-December was a very close game in Miami when the Jazz lost by three, 107-104. Jazz have, uh, they've blown out some teams in this stretch. They've had some close ones. They've found ways to win. Some might argue they're not... uh, necessarily blowing the socks off the competition because it's not great competition. But let's keep in mind, they took care of the Clippers on the road. They took care of Portland. Um, they've played some pretty good teams in this stretch. Um, but they, uh, they've also played tough. It's tough to continue to win that many games in a row in the NBA. So give the Jazz some credit for what they were able to do. What they've been able to do, it's, just, it's still going on. Uh, they had that uh, game... On uh, on Sunday, a Sunday afternoon in Washington to take on the Wizards, and struggled a little bit earlier on. George uh, uh, George Nyang had some good moments, but certainly Boyan Bogdanovich was key in the first half. And then Jordan Clarkson and Rudy Gobert really got it going. And I think the ball handling of Joe Ingles; those three were just absolutely critical for how the Jazz were able to pull things off in that uh, fourth quarter and really pull away. And um, this the what Jordan Clarkson is doing for the Jazz has been phenomenal. There was no Donovan Mitchell. Uh, he had a very limited uh, role on Friday when the the Hornets were in town, uh, and uh, there's some talk that he may be ill. He didn't even play at all on Sunday, and uh, battling an illness. 
But uh, Jazz are able to make the adjustments and make it happen. And uh, uh, like I said, some of that was especially because of the way of Jordan Clarkson in the bench uh, down the stretch, it, making plays like this against the Wizards. Maybe. 14 on the shot clock, up by five. A bucket or a stop wins this game. Ingles inbounding. Clarkson backdoor cut on the inbound layup ball game. <laughs> that was a beautiful play that uh, Ingles fakes the pass one way, gets the defender a Beal to, uh, to, to take the bait and move himself out of position as Clarkson comes down, crashing down towards the basket, passes it right there, and gets it right up and in. But uh, great game by the Utah Jazz. Now with the current standings in the NBA, the Jazz are uh, currently in third place, tied with the Denver Nuggets. So technically tied for second. Five games behind the Lakers, so the Lakers definitely have a cushion ahead of everybody else. But the Jazz are tied for second place in the Western Conference. They're a half a game ahead of Houston, a half a game of the Clip- ahead of the Clippers. And so the Jazz have made some big gains over the last 30 days. And here's what they have still to go. Now they're at Brooklyn on Tuesday. Kyrie Irving is back for Brooklyn now. He's missed a lot of games, but he's back. Uh, and his first game back was last night, or just the other day. And so he's uh, back in action. Jazz will face him tomorrow. And then the Jazz face somebody else who's returning when they play on Thursday. Zion Williamson will be uh, making his debut and will be playing after he's had, uh, maybe not his debut, but you know his first game since uh, missing a lot of time with that uh, injury. Uh, and recovery that he's uh, been going through. And as New Orleans played Utah really tough in the stretch, they just played last week, last Monday. Jazz were at New Orleans, and it was a close game. It was to the wire. Jazz were able to get the win after a great defensive play. It was a non-call. The NBA said it probably should have been called, but Rudy Gobert challenging uh, Ingram at the hoop, at the rim. The Jazz get the win, 128-126. to so it's developed into kind of a salty um, uh, rivalry between the Jazz and the Hornets, and they'll face each other on Thursday, and Zion Williamson will be there. So that game could get some get some uh, national attention, no doubt. So big game for Utah to continue this hot streak that they're on. After that, they return home to play Sacramento in Salt Lake City. Indiana comes to town, and that's when the game – the uh, um, the games for the Jazz really start to to kick it up a notch. Indiana is currently sixth in the Western Conference. Uh, after that, they uh, they have Golden State coming into town, and they well, excuse me, they go to Golden State, and then it's January twenty fifth for a solid month through the end of February, they are all playoff bound teams. So it's great what the Jazz are doing now. Uh, they've gained some significant ground in the Western Conference. We'll see what this team is really all about over the next month. But I feel really encouraged by how well that bench has developed uh, offensively, how they've come along uh, defensively as well in the absence of Mike Connolly and sometimes in the absence of Donovan Mitchell. And it's this team concept that's winning it for the Utah Jazz. Uh, How will things change once Mike Connolly gets reinserted into things? That is the big question. And can this uh, current stretch continue with uh, bringing him back into it? I would think that it can, but we'll find out. 
Thanks for tuning in, everybody. National Championship game coming up in just a few minutes.